Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Oh, this is a fun message. I love talking about the majesty of Jesus. There's not, it, it never hurts us to amp up our impression of our Savior. Uh, it's, it only does good for the soul. And so when you allow the scriptures to speak and you believe them, I tell you what, the, the picture of Jesus Christ is so large and so grand. Session two, Jehovah in human skin, the astounding incarnation. Introducing the I am, the unspeakable proper name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh. There's a lot of different ways of saying it. Adonai, Lord. It's all the same name. Adonai is the Aramaic version of it, but they're all euphemisms. They're a way of saying what to the Jews was unspeakable. You could not speak it because right after God revealed himself as the I am that I am, then he gave them the Ten Commandments, which says, do not speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not speak the name of Jehovah in vain. Now, it didn't actually mean they couldn't speak it out loud. It's just they weren't to speak it in vain. But for fear that they would accidentally use it in vain, they created euphemisms so that they could speak it but not speak it. So it was the replacement word for it. And so that's where you get the name Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, Adonai, Lord. And all caps Lord in the Old Testament, so when you see your translations, is actually the name Jehovah. And they're all the same name. So introducing the I Am. The I Am in the New Testament? You see, we understand that God has revealed himself in the Old Testament. He has come. He has spoken. And he has revealed himself unto his people. Last week we talked about the beginnings of the Bible, of him revealing himself to Moses and saying, write this down in a book. And so God has come, he initiated the beginnings even of the word of God in text, and he expressed it. But in that book, he clarifies that one will come. There is one who will come to rescue you from your sins. And so the I am in the New Testament, who would that be? I mean, did the I am dissipate into nothingness, come at the change of covenants? Or is the I am in the New Testament? And so many would say, well, he's the father, and you'd be right, he is. It's a strange thought to think uh, that we have different names. We have three persons in one. We have a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. And they're all God. They're all equal. And yet they all play different roles in the expression of truth unto us. The I am in the New Testament, Mark 14. But he held his peace and answered nothing. This is speaking of Jesus, standing before the high priest. Again, the high priest asked him, By the way, I'm capitalizing the H in the pronoun him, just so you catch it. And said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Now, that's just a normal expression in the English. And so uh, he's just agreeing, yeah, sure. However, there's some response that you will see in this situation that is a little 
overdone on the part of the high priest. And you shall see, this is Jesus talking, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, what need we any further witness? You have heard the blasphemy. Blasphemy is the understanding of taking the name of the Lord in vain. It is a violation of the commandment that says you shall not speak this word, this name, in vain. What has Jesus done? He just was talking, just answering the question. No, he did something that most of us don't hear or don't see. He declared, in translated in the Greek, what to a Hebrew understanding would be the unspeakable name. And he referred to himself in light of that Hebrew name. So, you have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. For those that want to diminish the person of Jesus, they have a a very difficult road ahead of them. Because the Bible actually very clearly enunciates who Jesus is. However, many of us do not ever approach the scriptures to study truly who he is and to see it. But when we do, it stands out. You see, Jesus, the culture in which he was in, it was very clear. He was making himself equal with God. And they didn't like that. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, Did he just say that? He didn't say, I am loving. He said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I existed. But it's not just I existed. He gives the proper name of God. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why are they wanting to kill him? Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, listen to their response, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Huh. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Eh, That's no small thing. Preeminence. The fact of surpassing all others, superiority and dominion over all. So this is a great word. I mean, I, I love the word. The battle over preeminence. Who matters most? So in our life, There is an issue of preeminence. And in the church of Jesus Christ, there is an issue of preeminence. Let me give you the the definition again. The fact of surpassing all others. There is one in our midst that needs to surpass all others. Superiority and dominion over all. By the way, the preeminent one is not the pastor. The preeminent one is not you. You see, we in our modern Christian system have made self and self's needs, self-comforts, the preeminent aspect of our life. And if it doesn't meet our needs, if it doesn't meet our comforts, then we consider it not true. I am not going to submit to that. I'm not going to be subservient to that. And yet Jesus Christ in the scriptures, in the word of God, makes it very clear who is preeminent. And then he calls himself the head of the church. Who is the one that matters most here? Who has dominion? Who has authority over this body? 
It's not our opinions. It's not our feelings and our gush of emotions. It's not our wants. It's him. So the battle over preeminence, who matters most? If I could lay it out, is it Jesus or is it you? I know it sounds very unspiritual to say, well, it's me in light of this discussion. However, that's exactly how most modern doctrine works. We are twisting the word of God to put ourselves up higher. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So this is just good old-fashioned Christian church ease. This is how it works. Jesus is the top dog. Jesus is the one who is overall the false notion of the modern church. I must increase that Christ may increase. It's a whole movement in Christianity that has gone undetected by many of us. For instance, there was a, a well-known writer that's actually one of the best-selling books in Christian history, as far as I know, that talked about dying to the false self so the true self might live. One of his famous statements was, take the throne. You see, you are meant to be, God died on the cross to establish you, your preeminence over your life. God wants to set you free to be you. These are all quotes. God wants to set you free to be you. Uh, that isn't how you're going to hear me say it. Okay, the very, very important thing about what Jesus Christ did was to put us in our proper position. You know that you're going to be a servant no matter what, whether it's to sin or whether it's to the preeminent one, Jesus Christ. You choose your master. And so when we come unto Jesus, we acknowledge that we have violated his law and we have been subservient to sin. We have, as a result, taken this vehicle that was meant to bring glory to him and instead brought glory to the devil. That's what we've done. And so we humble ourselves and we return to the one who rightfully owns us and rules us. It's our head, Jesus Christ. And he deserves that position. The Apostle John makes a proclamation. Okay, there's a difference between John the Baptist and the Apostle John. So the Apostle John, the one, the disciple that Jesus loved, he makes a proclamation. Multiple years after the other three Gospels were written, John takes up the pen and writes something. What is John's great message? Uh, he says a lot of great things in the book of John. But one of the key things that he's saying is, he is. It's the equivalent of saying, if he were talking, if Jesus were talking, Jesus would say, I am. So John says, he is. He is, in fact, Jehovah God in the flesh. John goes out of his way to proclaim the deity of Jesus Christ. That's what his gospel mainly is proclaiming. So listen to Hebrews. This isn't John talking, but this is the concept that John is bringing out. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. It sounds like an unfinished statement. For those of you that hang around Ellerslie, you've heard me talk about this multiple times. At Ellerslie, we go over this scripture over and over and over again because this is the beginnings. Anyone that comes to God must believe this. If you don't believe this, then you're not approaching God properly. Do you know what the word of God says about Jesus Christ? He is. Well, what does that mean? He is what? Could you finish the sentence, Eric? No, because it's not meant to be finished. He is means he is the I am. What? That's right. And he who comes to God must believe it. He is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Two of the most basic component parts to the working machinery of Christianity. Do you know who Jesus is? If you don't know who Jesus is, 
then you're going to stumble over him. But when you truly understand, well, well he is. Uh-huh. He is. And you believe it. And you readily declare it. I know who Jesus is. He is. It sounds funny, I know. But that's, that's what we believe. So in the Greek, the term is ego I may. I am. It's rather innocuous to us because in our translations, we're trying to make it make sense. So we usually, when Jesus says, I am, ego I may, we actually add he on the end. I am he. And as a result, we miss what he's saying. He's literally, he's saying it. He's declaring it. And so John, in his book, look at this. In Matthew, Matthew uses the term ego I me four times. Mark once. Luke one. Now look at this. John, 44 times. You see, John is making a statement. That's why he starts out his book, in the beginning was the word. He is establishing the logic of heaven for why this one, this son of God, can take away the sin of the world. He is establishing the crowning, finishing touches to the testimony of Jesus Christ. God assigned John to do it. And what does John make clear? The majesty of Jesus. So this is a summation because I cut out, oh, I'd say about two-thirds of it. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am. If you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Jesus saith unto them, verily, verily, which means amen, amen, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus saith unto them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he had said, he had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. Who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. What is he saying? I am! And you know what they do? They step back and fall to the ground. Jewish legend would have it that if anyone dare speak that holy name, lightning would come down from heaven. So whether or not they were knocked off their feet and flopped to the ground, or they fell back and went to the ground, doesn't really matter. All we know is that he spoke that name, and things happened. Then they went backward and fell to the ground. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. The statement of the friend, John the Baptist preceded Jesus, and yet John the Baptist says, no, he preceded me. Sounds confusing, doesn't it? You see, Jesus isn't just a created being. His beginnings aren't in the womb of Mary. His beginnings, as it says, are from of old and from everlasting. Jesus is the I am. He's from before. He doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an ending. He's God. And that's what's so magnificent is that God himself became a baby. Extraordinary. The statement of the friends. So this is John the Baptist's statement. I am not, but he is. So when you understand, remember, this is going to be John that's that's, that's writing this and articulating this. But look at what John says that John the Baptist declares. Now remember the key phrase that John is building all throughout his gospel is, I am. And he's doing it for Jesus, basically saying, he is. And so when he's articulating what John the Baptist says, he 
He focuses on this, and this is the record of John. This is John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus said. John the Baptist says, I am not. Jesus says, I am. Big difference between the two. You see, John the Baptist is what we could refer to as the friend of the bridegroom. If you want to be a friend to this bridegroom, then you want to make it very clear in your soul and to everyone you meet, I am not. No, no, I'm not him. I'm not the Savior. He is. Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. You see, he is. We're not. And this is the testimony of John, the the one who comes before. We are like John. We come before the work of Jesus in their life, and we proclaim, behold, behold, I am not. He is. So, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. So I have a little bonus thought at the end of this little sermonette. It's called the Nomen Sacra, or the Nomina Sacra, uh, the sacred name. In the earliest manuscripts found of the New Testament, from the 1st to the 3rd centuries A.D., a unique technique was utilized by the early Christian translators when handling the most important names found within the Bible. So you have these ancient Greek texts that are found, and there was a unique technique that was used to handle about 15 different names in the Bible. So Father, Christ, Lord, and Jesus were four of them. And the way that they would handle them is very, very unique. And I just wanted to point it out because I think it's fascinating in light of what we're talking about. Out of the extreme deference and respect, the sacred names were not written out as would be typical but were shortened and represented with the first letter and the last letter of the name and a line above the two, or sometimes three letters. This lexical technique of showing great deference and respect has been given the Latin description of nomina sacra. The Koine Greek expressed the holy name of God the Son as, and so that's Isus in the Greek, transliteration Isus, phonetic spelling, Iesus. The first letter of the sacred name being the iota, it, it sounds like an I, I, uh, and it looks like an I. To us, the last letter of the sacred name being a sigma, which ironically it looks like an S and it sounds like an S. So they would combine these two letters. It's the very first letter and the last letter. You guys see how that's working? They would take out the middle stuff and just as a show of deference and respect for the holy name that is being written down here of Jesus, they would take the I, iota, and the sigma. And they would combine them together and then capitalize the sigma. And so with deep reverence, I and the sigma, or iota and the sigma, are combined together. And do you see what it says? Is. I, I know that that might be completely accidental, but this is still quite amazing. Then S is then capitalized, so that's what it would look like. The final stroke is like a crown, a wreath, a means of capitalizing the already capitalized letters. So if a man could worship Jesus, his mighty redeemer, even as he wrote down his almighty name, he could write it like that. It's, it actually would say, is, with a capital of capital strike above it, like a wreath or a crown. Isn't that an incredible thought, to know in the first earliest manuscripts that was actually what was done? 
Thank you so much for listening to part two of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.